0: Welcome to Overhear, the podcast from Outsider Music. My name is Nick Finzer, and today we are revisiting our series, talking about jazz education and interviewing and chatting with some of my friends and musicians around New York City. And today we're talking to two guys that have a great Boston connection, uh, something that I don't have too much experience with, uh, being an upstate New York person and uh, moving to New York straight from there. Uh, Today we're speaking with guitarist Alex Wintz, who uh, we ended up going to Juilliard together, but before that he was a student at the Berklee School of Music up in Boston, and then also Alex LeRae, a great alto saxophone player from florida that ended up going to nec before coming to new york to study at the manhattan school of music so i wanted to share you know two different stories from two guys that had kind of different experiences uh but both have a common experience in going to boston first before coming to new york and uh, i'll let them kind of i'll let them set the stage for you and give that in And i'll let them tell you what they're all about but i hope you enjoy this conversation and it helps you to make your decision about studying jazz and whether you should be going to school or you should be going it on your own whether you should go to maybe boston or stay in or study in new york Uh, i hope you'll find these conversations to be informative uh, and help you to make your own decision so without further ado here is alex wince without further ado here is Alex Loray.
1: So, my name is Alex LeRae, and I'm a uh, saxophonist and composer living here in New York City. Um, and uh, just kind of doing all the different things that musicians do these days, combination of combination of uh, playing and writing music and teaching music and, uh, you know, kind of all of the above. And um, uh, I released my second album on Greg Alsby's, Inner circle music label this past fall. Um called More Figs and Blue Things with Zaleski on piano, Desmond White on bass and Colin Stranah on drums. Um so yeah, so I I kind of had an interesting school experience. I did uh for the first few years of my undergrad I went to the University of North Florida in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Um where I got to study with um saxophonist Bunky Green, who was my first uh, real mentor, who really kind of opened my ears and eyes to all uh, variety of different musical possibilities and, and things. And it was it was a really incredible experience for me. Um, after two years, I transferred to Boston and finished my undergrad at the New England, New England Conservatory of Music. Um, mm-hmm. And then after that, I went on to New York and I Completed my master's degree at the Manhattan School of Music, Um, and all of this was in jazz performance. I guess you could say. Gotcha. So could you
2: uh, give us a a little bit of a time frame, just so we can kind of place place when you were in those places?
1: Sure. Uh, And I was at the University of North Florida from 2005 to 2007, um, and then I was at the New England Conservatory from 2007 to 2009 and then Manhattan School Music, 2009 to 2011. Great. So,
2: what kind of, I mean, I know you said Bunky Green was your first teacher there at UNF. Kind
1: of what what got you to go to UNF over anywhere else? Um, Well, you know, honestly, coming out of high school, my goals and my eyes were set on coming to New York City. Um, So I had auditioned at, Uh, you know, Manhattan School of Music and the New School and Juilliard and, um, you know, kind of all of the, you know, main schools up in the tri-state area. Um, but honestly, I think for me, it was, it was a, a financial thing to kind of forego, uh, getting up there at that time. I just, I wasn't offered, you know, enough scholarships to kind of make it worth it. And, um, you know, Florida at the time had some pretty great in-state you know, tuition coverage options and scholarship awards and whatnot, so I was able to get some of those, and um, I'd heard a lot about Bunky from some of my mentors in high school, and uh, that's what kind of ultimately made me go there uh, first.
2: Gotcha. Yeah, I was wondering, I was going to ask you about the Florida in-state thing, which I didn't know about until I was teaching down there, but it seems like a pretty great way to go to college affordably
1: yeah yeah it was it was pretty great i i mean basically those first two years I was getting paid to go to college um which was oh, wow. pretty great i mean the combination of some scholarship competitions I did in high school uh back in I'm from sarkin Springs Florida so it's, uh in Pinellas county we had a couple of of art scholarships that i that I was able to get and then combined with the in-state tuition awards um I'm not sure if they even still have them. In Florida, I'd heard something about certain ones getting cut, but uh, basically, yeah, all things together, I, I basically didn't pay at all for those first two years of college, which was really, you know, very fortunate that I was able to do that. Yeah, totally. And so, um,
2: what kind of led you to, you know, want to move on to NEC and transfer? Kind of what was that process like?
1: Um yeah well I, you know I've been I've been very close with Bunky, and and we have been talking and you know Jacksonville is a great it's a great town and I learned so much there um got to meet some you know really great musicians and friends um but you know I guess I I just had my sights set on you know being up around New York as like most young aspiring musicians or jazz musicians I guess you know look at New York with these certain rose-colored glasses um, and and Bunky was very encouraging, you know, I know sometimes teachers, like, you know, they try to hold on to certain students because, you know, for whatever reason, but Bunky was, he, he understood, and he knew, you know, Jacksonville was only able to offer up to a certain amount in terms of, you know, the gigs and the level and yada yada, so um, I, I, once again, after my sophomore year, I, I auditioned for more, you know, more schools and at school music, and you see these other schools. Um, I had some friends at the New England Conservatory, who were encouraging me to go there, they had great things to say about it and um so I just kind of took the plunge um you know i I ended up having to take out a little money to go there um but my experience there in hindsight i i it was it was pretty pretty remarkable as far as what it lent me um musically and kind of how it guided me to the next step so uh, I would say I I wouldn't change that because it was a really amazing experience that I had there. Um, mm. Yeah, and then so
2: I imagine the next part of the journey was just you wanted to come to New York and you so you made it to to MSN or was MSM your first choice?
1: Um, it was it was between MSM and Juilliard to be honest. At um, mm-hmm. at at NEC I found another close mentor in George Garzone. Um, and uh, I studied with him for the two years I was there, and uh, we got very close, and he was actually teaching at Manhattan School of Music at the time, so I wanted to continue studying with him, and that that was the reason I chose to go to MSM.
2: Gosh, does that make sense? Yeah. So what do you think, you know, for the next, you know, upcoming students and stuff is the most important thing to focus on in terms of making a choice about, do You think it's like the, lo- the location or the money or, or the teacher? Because I find those are usually the kind of top three things that people are thinking about.
1: Right, right. It's a it's a it's a really important question. I think um, being at those schools uh, lent me the opportunity to again work with some really incredible uh, musicians, and I made some really close friends. You know, a lot of friends that I made in school. I work with uh you know daily and and a lot pretty much here in new york city and and elsewhere um but i uh, i i do think you know as much as we don't like to think about it when when you're young you don't really have perspective as far as like thinking about things that in depth um but i you know i think i would probably say location is probably location and and, and financially uh are those two things are are Things that should be taken with the utmost consideration. Um, I think just being in a city like New York, being around all those musicians, going out to the clubs, and, and meeting people. Um, and if you're serious, if you're serious about what you do, and, and you know you're doing it, you know people will notice, and you'll make friends in that way. Um, but you know it's, it's it's hard to justify paying forty to fifty thousand dollars a year for for a music degree these days. You know when you come out. And there's no like, there's no staple work to help you, you know, pay that off. Essentially, it's it's kind of ludicrous that, that that has is what jazz education has come to, at least at some of the major schools. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know if I could confidently advocate for that, <laughs> knowing what kind of burden that that would that sets on people for the rest of their lives. You know. Um, yeah, I agree.
2: So, what I mean, what do you tell students? I know. I'm sure students, you know, want your opinion about these sorts of things. So, I mean, what are, what are you telling kids now?
1: I, You know, obviously there are other schools in the area that would provide you the opportunity with being in that area, but not having to, you know, at a, at a fraction of the price that you would pay to go to some of these more prestigious schools. Um, You know, like City College and William Patterson and all these other schools that are, you know, maybe state schools and whatnot, that again, would allow you to be here, but you wouldn't be taking on the burden of, uh, you know, the exorbitant price of a conservatory or whatnot. And, you know, I, of course, I, I love the schools that I went to, and, and uh, I don't I don't mean to bash them in this way, but, you mm-hmm. know, I think that's one thing that, I mean, maybe that's more of the education system as a whole, of, like, trying to figure out how we deal with that for people. But it's just, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable to ask a kid to go to a, a world-class music school and then come out with no job and be, you know, some people are hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. It's like, it's not acceptable. And, you know, something needs to be done about that. But in the meantime, I think there are ways to get around that. And, you know, I think we need to be smart about figuring out what that is and how to do that.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, uh, part of the, part of the issue, at least I think for me was, you know, that at that time, you know, being 18 or 17 and signing on a piece of paper—you don't know what those numbers mean. They're just numbers.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: You know, and uh, so yeah, I think it's a big, a big issue, which is why I'm talking about it. But um, so, let's see. Do you? What, what was the point where you knew you were going to go into music? And were were you a person that? your family wanted you to have like a backup plan and did you have to deal with that kind of situation and how did you manage it?
1: Yeah. Well, that's a, that's also an interesting question. Um, there was never a point for me at least that I had actually considered anything else. I, I kind of just always knew I was going to do music. You know, I was pretty serious about it in high school. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I went to a great, uh, high school with a really great music program and director who was very encouraging. So. It was just—it just seemed like the natural uh course of action to just continue doing music after high school because I had spent so much time and effort into it already. You know, I had never mm-hmm. at that at that point I was like, "Oh, is this what I'm going to do, or should I do something else?" And yada yada. I was like, "Yeah, of course." Um, so that was that. Um, my parents, my mom has always been, you know, very supportive. My father, on the other hand, uh, has actually been not so supportive and, and he was fighting me the entire way, actually, even as I was coming up through the schools and even afterwards as, you know, started making records and doing all that thing, all those things, you know, he was still doing music as a hobby and, you know, asking when I was going to, you know, grow up and get a real job and, and all of this stuff. And so, you know, it was, it's a lot. I think that's a lot for someone to deal with, especially... And not having that kind of support from a parental figure, someone who's so close to you. Um, but, uh so it's, it's been, it's been a bit to, to navigate and to learn about myself, but um I think you just have to, you really have to like trust yourself and be confident in what you're doing. You know, everyone is speaking from their own experiences and, and what they can only offer so much, but you know, it's your life and and you need to do what you want to do. I think. Um, so I can tell you about that,
2: yeah, oh, that's great um, yeah. so what are some things that you're doing now, whether musically or extra musically or just life, that you never even thought of or considered when you were starting out in school
1: um, that's a great- qu- yeah, that's a good question too um well, I think um. Just living in New York City and and you know understanding what that uh, entails as far as you know paying your rent and you know all the bills that you have to deal with like making it work with music you know I, I did go through a period of doing a lot of non music related jobs um, to kind of help me along the way you know right out of school I was working at a bakery and then I got my real estate license so I was doing real estate for a few years then I started working at like a piano rental and leasing company as a salesman you know so there there were a lot of things that I was doing but I was still you know I was still playing and practicing and writing and and doing my thing um and then after a while, I realized well i could I could do this like all of this energy that I'm giving to other people I could be investing in myself and I could be putting towards what I actually want to do um so that's what I'm doing now i I'm getting to play I'm getting to write I'm getting to you know form different relationships with different directors around the country, you know writing music for people and um, you know, writing music for my band and different projects that I'm involved with. So it's every day is a little bit different, as you know. I'm sure you know, but it's um, it's a pretty amazing thing to to say we get to do this for a living, you know. And it's 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 really hard to know to to understand like what that's gonna what that experience is gonna be like when you're in school. It's a you know, it's kind of a bubble as far as you wake up and you get to practice and go to class for the most part, you know. Unless sometimes people have jobs that they have to work during school too but you know it's it's really it's really hard for for schools to prepare you for getting out to the real world um because you kind of just need to have that experience you know a class of talking about it uh and writing grants and doing all these things to prepare you for being an entrepreneur is essential i think but i, I don't know it's it's really hard for a school again to, pre- to really prep you for that you just have to deal with that. You have to live that, I think, to understand what that's like. Um, Yeah, totally agree with you. you, Yeah, and you make it work. You you make it work and you realize if it's for you, if it's the lifestyle that you want, or you don't. You know, and then you figure out where to go from there. Um, There's no right answer, I think. It's it's very personal. Everyone's different as far as what they want out of their life. Um, But yeah, I think that's just something you need to Learn for yourself and 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 not have any regrets about, you know, a lot of people sometimes are fearful or, or worried, like, oh, well, what if this doesn't work out? What if? And it's like, it's okay. You know, failing is part of the process of becoming successful, and, and being okay with that is is a huge part of it, I think.
2: hmm So I just have maybe one more question for you, if that's okay. Sure. Um, so kind of looking back at all of this stuff that we were talking about, do you feel like there's anything you would do differently if you could go back and start over?
1: I would, based on all of my experiences and and, and where I am today, um, given everything, I, I think I would confidently say no, I wouldn't change anything. Um, and for me, I, I base that on, sure, like maybe I have some school debt that is a part of my life now but the experiences and the people that I met uh and the opportunities that I got because of that have been worth it to me I think um and I'm I am the musician and the person I am today because of those experiences uh and I don't think I would want to be anything different so um yeah I would say no I wouldn't change anything
0: so those are alex's experiences with the new england conservatory and the manhattan school of music i just love how at the end he just is so confident and he's so assertive with the fact that he's glad about the decisions that he made but he's such a great musician if you don't know alex and his music definitely check it out at alexleray.com alto saxophonist uh, so please check out his music he has a couple records out on greg osby's label inner circle music And uh, he's gotten some great press for that. I know uh, it's been in the New York Times and some other places. So if you haven't heard Alex's music, you definitely want to check that out. And now we're moving on to Alex Wintz, who also has a new record out. Alex's latest record, Life Cycles, came out not too long ago. came out in May of 2017. And it's doing very well. And he had a number of release shows in New York. But I wanted to take a few steps back and talk about our time at the Juilliard School and also his time at Berkeley. So I hope you'll enjoy hearing a little bit about those two programs from guitarist Alex Wintz.
3: Well, my name is Alex Wintz. I'm a professional guitar player in New York City, and um, I perform in a lot of different bands. Um, internationally, including um, A.T.N. Charles and Creole Soul, Ben Williams and Sound Effect, uh, Nick Finzer, here and now. (laughs) And um, I I just released my own record called Life Cycle last Friday, May 19th, and uh, did a bunch of shows last week to uh, help promote that. And um, I got serious into going to music school, like a lot of people around maybe my sophomore year of, of, of high school, So um, I did the uh, Berkeley summer program, the Mm -hmm. five-week, in the summer of um, 2008, I believe. And um, so I was there for five weeks, and I got a real feel for the school and um, was really into it. And um, uh, in my senior year, they offered me a full scholarship to, to go there. So it was kind of a no-brainer. Even though I liked the school, it was also uh, – what I tell my students now at, um, at uh, NJPAC Jazz for Teens program is, you know, the, the number one thing is you don't want to get out of school being in a ton of debt because obviously this isn't the most lucrative of occupations, and um, the less that you're um, in debt – when you get out of school, the more opportunities you might have to to make things happen. so um yeah, so then i went I went to Boston after that, and um, I was at Berkeley for four years, which I feel like is a rare thing. Most people are usually there, maybe two or three. but um it was an awesome experience. I mean, um uh, the thing that makes it so cool is is um when I was going there, I'm not sure if it's still the slogan, it was called "Nothing Conservatory about it." And um, that's fairly accurate because it's not a conservatory style training. If you want to just go there and be, you know, a very like vigilant jazz musician, you can do that and find those people. But if you want to go there and study jazz, but also learn about Brazilian music, learn about um, music production, um, take some music business courses. Um, playing like the Jimi Hendrix ensemble or something. You can do all these other things and um, kind of um, immerse yourself in other musical circles that aren't as possible in other schools.
0: So did you take advantage of all those other kind of courses and like not, or did you focus mostly on all the jazz stuff when you were
3: there? Um, I mean, I was, I was one of those students and I'm still that way. Musically speaking, I'm in my tastes where The primary thing that I'm interested in is jazz, but um, um, there's a lot of music on heavy rotation for me that isn't jazz, whether it's like drum and bass music or hip hop or um, country music or whatever. So I maybe take like a class or two each year um, that was a little different than that, Mm -hmm. and um, that kind of helped broaden my horizons, and then there were just a lot of opportunities to see people perform in those styles and kind of get to know those guys and things like that. And um, that made it a um, really uh, interesting and eclectic experience.
0: So um, I know then from, from Berkeley, you ended up uh, in New York at Juilliard uh, doing your master's. So what kind, of, what kind of made you want to make that shift from kind of that school that's real open like Berkeley to something way more specific? like Juilliard
3: um I felt that I was most likely going to get pushed the hardest there Mm -hmm. the difference between Berkeley and Juilliard is that at Berkeley you have to be independently motivated to push yourself and um at Juilliard they're just going to push you no matter what so I kind of already had that um independent motivation instilled in me from being at Berkeley where it's like if you if you don't um, have that sort of um, attitude, then you're going to get left in the dust because it's the largest music school in the world and um, you have to stand out. So you have to work hard and you have to leave a strong impression on the faculty and the students and things like that. So that was already instilled in me. So I felt like even though I knew that Julia would be a lot more of a stressful experience, it was going to be with some of the best musicians of my you know, peer group, And they were going to push me and there was faculty members who were also going to push me and, um, and, um, there wouldn't be a, um, curriculum that probably was more jazz intensive based, but, um, would probably touch on things that I didn't get at Berkeley.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so how would you, I mean, in terms of kind of more of the day to day or kind of what what it actually looks like and feels like. Could you kind of compare the two experiences?
3: Yeah, I mean, Berkeley was a lot more of a low-stress situation. Let's Mm -hmm. put it that way. I mean, there were great classes there. Each class had a lot more of a um, set idea. So if you're taking... you know, I took a class there called Harmony of Brazilian Song, where, like, each week we we analyzed a song from the history of Brazilian music. Mm-hmm. Or you take a class called um, Pentatonics, and it's just solely about, like, soloing using the pentatonic scale in different ways for eight or nine weeks, things like that. Whereas at Juilliard, it was a lot more like, this is what the teacher's going to show you today, and it could change very frequently and things like that. Um, but um, I found what what was offered at Juilliard was also interesting too. It just wasn't as like you knew what from week to week what was going to happen, right? So so that was that was a little different. And then um, I think there was more open mindedness to just trying out new things at Berkeley, whereas Juilliard was a lot more performance based, even in studying. Where every time I took a solo there you know, whether I, whether I liked it or not, I felt like I had to play like the best solo possible right then and there. Whereas at, at Berkeley, a lot of the classes were kind of like, hey, try this new concept about improvisation. Oh, I mean, you know, you didn't get it this time, but keep working at it and and you'll get it. So it was kind of a more um, open-minded approach there. Gotcha. Um,
0: so I know you kind of mentioned a little bit before we were talking about talking to your students at NJPAC. But so when when you, someone comes up to you, I'm sure you have this experience because you go to a lot of schools and stuff on the road. Like when they ask you, when they say, oh, I'm a such and such year student and I'm thinking about going to college for music, um, what what do you tell
3: them? Well, I mean, I I, I tend to say to them, if that's what you want to do, you need to just go do it. And um, I know there's friends of mine who will kind of be more judgmental in that aspect and say, like, hey, you know, you don't sound like you're quite ready for that. You need to keep working on things like that. But it's like if that's set in your mind that you want to go to school for music, go to school for music. But um, for certain people, I I make them understand, like, that the level that you're working at right now in high school where you have other things you have to take classes for, AP courses or geometry, trigonometry, or whatever, you're not going to have that in music school. So um, the onus is on you to work 10 times harder than you did when you were in high school. And um, for other people who I feel like I'm a little more concerned with their their um, work ethic and how it's going to go, I, I really kind of hammer that point where it's like, um, I'm not going to tell you not to go to school for music, but you're going to get pushed. And um, you also have to push, your, push yourself.
0: So... I had a student call me a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, he's not a not a guitar student, but he he wanted to talk about going to college and he was talking about Berkeley and he said that you know, the tuition there for upcoming year was something with room and board, something like $60,000 to go there. Yeah. And uh do you think that that I know you you went with a different financial situation than that, but do you feel like that's a justified uh expense for a young musician to spend you know about what is that two hundred and forty thousand dollars over four years on a
3: nope on <laughs> i don't i don't think that i think that like um as i previously said as i previously said i mean you have to go where you have the highest chance of of getting out of school not owing a lot of money to the federal government because of the way that the income goes for this job and Maybe that's part of it is like if if you're not coming from a a good financial situation with your family and you know you have to pay for a lot of this stuff and things like that and you apply to five music schools and you don't get money from any of them, maybe that does mean you need to reconsider what you're doing because it costs so much money to go to college and and you're going to get out with a degree that may not um, reward you a high salary right away. Most likely not. So, yeah, I would say to that person, "What other schools did you get into? What was the tuition for that? Did you get any scholarship money for that? Can you find a way to um, get the things that you wanted out of Berkeley from that school, whether it be outside of the campus and contacting teachers directly and things like that? I mean, that's another thing to think about too. Is is um, if you have that independent motivation instilled in you, there's a lot of things you can get." which um, you don't have to go to, to college for. They're at a college, but you may not need to pay as much if you just contact those teachers directly. I mean, most faculty members at a university in music like, are not that above the student where you can't just contact them and say, hey, can I take a lesson?
0: Totally. Um, oh, I lost my train of thought there. Um, so you would say that your primary... Uh, your primary um, selection criteria is uh, m- the money side of things? Would you? Because I know some other times people talk about either like you want to make sure you have a great private teacher or you want to make sure you're in the place you want to be. Did you find that money was like the primary concern for you?
3: Um, I think it should be unless you're, you have to be honest with your family situation. I mean, if you come from a household where, you know, you have a lot of money and your parents say, don't worry about it. Mm. We sent our daughter to Columbia and we paid the same amount of money. Then you can think differently about it. But if you're like most American to come from a middle class sort of household where that's kind of an issue, then um, I think you do have to be honest with yourself and um, think of that as, as a priority.
0: So I know you come from you know a somewhat musical family Uh, i know some students have a challenge convincing their their folks about like is it a good idea to go into music and stuff like that or did you ever have to kind of have that conversation about like having a backup plan or maybe you should double major or anything like that
3: um not once I got serious enough where I just kept saying I'm going to go to school for music. It kind of just stopped after that. And and the 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 story behind that is that my father doesn't do music professionally. He went to school for music. I don't think he ended up majoring. And he ended up majoring in English in the end. But I mean, he was a professional musician for 15 years and had a good career. He played with Ray Charles. He played with Charlie Hayden. He played with um, Tom Jones. All these sorts of people. And now he does something differently. And he's successful doing it. So um, I think when it comes to that stuff, it's just good to give your shot, shoot your shot with the arts early when you're young and, and when, it's, when, when you're ready to take on the hard work. And just give it your all. And if it doesn't work out, you'll, you'll find the situation that, that works best for you. Um, that's kind of the thing that I always took away from him. Where it's just like he likes what he does now just as much as he did being a musician.
0: Awesome. So I think I just have uh, like one more question for you. What, sure. Um, what are what is a thing or a, a few things that you never would have expected that you ha- would have to be doing that you are doing now?
3: Oh man.
0: Could be musically or extra musically in support of your music.
3: I don't know. I mean, I had a pretty realistic um, viewpoint of it. I mean, I guess I never thought I'd spend so much of my day in correspondence. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I mean, you know this as well as I do. Like, the first thing I do in the morning is send out all these emails to different people. And it could be about travel schedule for something. It could be about me trying to book a gig. It could be about getting in touch with someone for lessons, but, you know, you just have to always be available to people who contact you. And that's something that really benefited my career. And, um, I guess, you know, I, I thought at a young age, once you get out of school, all you have to do is practice and play gigs, but there's a lot of correspondence time that you have to do and a lot of emailing and, um, and things like that.
0: Cool. Um, well, I'll, is there any other, you no know, thoughts that you had wanted to share that you didn't get to, uh, address
3: yeah i mean i guess maybe just to clarify the thing where i said just go where you get the most money um by all means if you want to go to school in the arts and and even you're not sure about your love or whatever but you have this this um drive to do it you have to do it and um you just have to also understand that um it's a a difficult profession and um can be challenging at times, and there's things which are hard decisions like that that can kind of help benefit you in the end, where you're not dealing with that sort of um, backlash. Because I mean, geez, you know what is it with student loans? Like um, uh, three months after you graduate, you have to start paying for them. Right. So um, you don't realize that when 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 you're a senior in high school and you get you know the letter that like oh all I have to do is sign up for these student loans then I'm fine but yeah. um, it catches up with you very quickly.
0: Totally. I'm on I'm on the same page there. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, Alex, thanks so much for sharing your, your thoughts. I appreciate your time.
3: Awesome. Thanks, Nick.
0: Well, there you have it. Two conversations from two guys that have done the Boston to New York migration and two guys that are doing extremely well and two guys that are both excellent musicians and excellent people. They're some of the greatest musicians that I play with here in New York. I think being able to hear their experiences might allow you to make your own inferences and your own judgments on whether or not you need to come to New York first or maybe you want to go to another place with a smaller scene and kind of check out what that's about before coming to New York. You know, something somebody said to me, that I've only recently realized to be extremely true is that New York will always be there and the scene will continue on whether you're there or not. Make sure that you're ready for that big commitment of coming to New York. So maybe going to a place with a little bit small scene is going to allow you to be more successful when you get here to New York City. So I hope you've enjoyed these conversations with Alex Lorray, Alex Wince. Please go ahead and check them out at their website's com and alexwincemusic.com and that's it for this episode of over here stay tuned for more episodes if you haven't subscribed on itunes hit that subscribe button and we'll see you here real soon